Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast, the unconventional homesteading podcast. I'm Stephanie from Wyoming. And I'm Tara from Montana. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into an inclusive homesteading topic from canning, dairy animals, gardening, animal husbandry, and everything in between. Hello, this is Milkmaid's Podcast. I'm Tara. And I'm Marissa. Yeah, Stephanie's gone, and this is my friend Marissa. How are you today? I am so good. How are you doing? Good. I like, we talked about this a while ago. It's been a couple months now. I think mm-hmm. about you being on the podcast as like an interview um, because Stephanie has gone on maternity leave, which is super exciting. And we want to give her a big congratulations, Steph. Yes. And take a very well-earned break. Right. She's probably not taking that much of a break, but she should take a break. Right. Right. Try to take a break. No, her husband's home. <laughs> so I think that she is able to, and I'm just trying to like leave her alone as much as I can, but you know, it's so nice to be able to give her that break. So mm-hmm. we're happy for you. Absolutely. And Marissa, you did something really fun and thank you for being willing to like go along with my ideas, but I asked you to come with a shout out this week. Do you have a shout out for us? I do indeed. I wanted to share Linda Black Elk. She is the Food Sovereignty Coordinator at the United Tribes Technical College in North Dakota. She does. This is not a business that I'm shouting out. It's her. Uh, the reason I want to talk about her is because in addition to her work at the college, she also makes food and medicine kits and brings them to Indigenous elders. I've learned so much from her, and I hope that people follow her. She's on Facebook and Instagram and amplify her posts and financially contribute as able to help help give um, her the resources to keep doing food and medicine kits to help people, especially during the pandemic. Right. I think that she is also on Instagram too. So if I find that I'll provide that, but she does, she is such a person that has a wealth of knowledge that I wouldn't even think of. And she's providing that a lot of her posts are. And when you come across somebody like that, that is providing that it's so good to support them if you can. Mm -hmm. So thanks for bringing that forward. I adore her. I think Linda Black Elk is just doing the work and she's she, amazing. She's so amazing. Right. And again, we'll have that in our show note link. So you can check that out. And I guess we can jump right into it. I do have to say, Steph and I were talking about responding to messenger messages. I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, oh yeah, I'm not a person that responds with thumbs up. And you did it to me (laughs) last night. And I was like, so you are a person that responds. I am occasionally a person. (laughs) That responds with a thumbs up. And I'm always questioning myself, like, because I can be very, very, very wordy. And so then I'm like, am I, do I just like keep saying stuff? Because I could potentially never stop. So for me, a thumbs up is almost a way of being like, yep, I got it. I'm going to shut up now. Right. No, I am the same way, but I never like it. If I have to say one thing, I'm going to tell you four sentences at least. Like that's a very minimum. I'm incapable of short responses. Right. Yeah. So I see what you're doing there with the thumbs up. That's, that's brilliant. I just think it's passive aggressive, not from you because I tease (laughs) you about it, but like, that's what I've determined. It's passive aggressive. I don't know. It certainly can be like the, the intent matters and there's no way to like really know the intent of an emoji. Right. Right. This, I mean, somebody should do a study on this really. Yeah. Like what is the intent behind the thumbs up on messenger? Yeah. If you know. You, you can email us at milkmaidspodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Milkmaid's Podcast on Apple. And I did see on, what do you listen through, Marissa? Um, I listen to Google Podcasts. Okay. I didn't even know we were on there. So I just learned something new today. I don't know if you can rate on Google Podcasts, but I listen on Spotify. 
and you can rate on there. I think it just started. So if you want to rate us on there too, that would be great. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Marissa? I know you, but all my friends that listen don't know you. So hello, I am Marissa Fortin. I'm the owner of Spring Hill Heritage Farm in Northwest Wisconsin. Uh, my husband, Stefan, and I raise chickens and pigs on pasture, and we have free-range lane hens. We also have feral peafowl. Yes. And our partners, Amber and Logan Dwyer, own Haven Hills Farm. Um, they raise turkeys and beef on pasture, and we kind of like work together as a business to sell direct to customers. Okay. I didn't actually know this about your program is that you work with uh, Haven Hills Farm. So what does that look like, Marissa? Well, at this point, it's honestly pretty informal. We just started it a year ago because we are both, um, essentially, we were both and are both direct-to-consumer farms in the area. And Amber actually grew up a mile south of me for okay. different ages, so I didn't yeah. know her growing up. Um, but I, I met the Dwyers through friends a couple of years ago, and they're doing pasture-raised turkey, and they do beef. And it kind of occurred to me that like, you know, our businesses would fit really well together. They only live like four or five miles away. We have very similar practices. So oh. about a year ago, it was like, do you want to join forces? And she's it's like, like yes. a stepbrothers thing. Like, do we just be yes, best like, friends? You, yes. It's like, do you want to form an alliance with me? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I do. Exactly. And so, and of course we, we all just kind of like geek out about this whole thing. Right. Um, but it just seemed to make a lot of sense because, you know, when you're a small business and you're trying to build from scratch, a farm to consumer business, you're doing everything, you yeah. know, the marketing, the business building, just everything. And so we thought like, well, if we can stop reinventing the wheel a bit and pair up, that kind of spreads out the workload. Yeah. And from a customer perspective, um, it's a little more convenient because we do ship only regionally, but we are working on going nationwide with yeah. our shipping. And since we have the two farm locations, we have slightly different schedules and availability and people can pick up on either location. Okay. And so that way people can order everything online, but then pick up everything on oh. whichever site they want. Yeah. So there's kind of a lot of behind the scenes, you know, right. like I'll be I will stop at their place on my way home from work and pick up packages of beef in preparation oh. for a pickup on my farm and right. vice versa. So we, you know, the way we make it work is honestly a little clunky behind the scenes. And hopefully as we grow, it'll be more streamlined, but you know, like that's the reality of starting a small business and growing exactly. is that there's just hiccups and inconveniences and that's just the way it is. But it's nice to be able to offer all four of those things and to not have to duplicate our programs. You know, we don't have to have two separate ordering websites. We don't, you know, like we don't have to ship separately. We don't have to buy packaging supplies separately. Yeah. We can just like, let's just do this together. And so we've, we really have only been working together for about a year, um, if just under that. Okay. But it's going really well. We have tons of ideas and it's just nice because, you know, I think a lot of us and me included, like part of me was always like, I want to raise all the things. Right. But, <laughs> you know, every single species and product has this learning curve. It does. And so I discovered, like, I really like raising broiler chickens and yeah. Amber and Logan really like raising turkeys. And so I love the idea of raising turkeys, but does it really make sense to add on infrastructure, add on a learning curve when they're already doing it in the same way, five miles away. So maybe they can expand upon their turkey processes and I can expand on chickens and we're achieving the same outcome without both of us having to do, you know, all the extra work of adding another species. No, I think that's really smart. And Stephanie and I have talked about this a lot too, is when you focus down 
on one thing because we are both like we want to do all of the things all the time. Clearly, like look around you. Right. Right. Yeah. It's and when you do that, I feel like you kind of miss the mark on some areas. Like maybe your pigs mm-hmm. aren't getting their proper attention. Whereas if you have in your experience, you have two things that you really focus on, right? Pastured chickens mm-hmm. and then the pastured pigs. And pastured right? pigs. And I feel like you just can provide such a better product if you're able to focus down like that. And that's really cool that you're able to partner with people who are focusing down as well. I think that's the smartest thing you can do. Yeah. I think it just makes so much sense. And you know, my, my big philosophy in all of this is collaboration over competition completely because like so many people, and unfortunately we do see this a lot in like the small farm circles. There's this idea that all of my neighbors are my competitors. Exactly. I just refuse to buy into that. Yeah. Um, Like I I don't really think it's healthy, but I also think it holds us back from so much growth if we fail to see the potential that collaboration can do. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that does, it's like a poison in the small farm community, really, because Mm -hmm. I mean, we run into it all the time. You and I have seen that all the time, even in, I don't know, even online. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things that where somebody will take the time to talk shit about somebody else. Whereas you could focus that energy on like expanding. And I really think that's just the healthiest way to do it. There is enough people to feed in the world. Like there's enough for all of us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even in my area, there's a fair amount of farm to table producers. And I think that's great. Like I want us to all win. Yeah. And when you compare like, okay, we've got like in my area, just off the top of my head, there's us, there's Haven Hills, there's Kowalski beef, which is entirely grass fed. There's Anchuck Angus, which is primarily corn fed. There's multiple different businesses. And if you compare the amount of food that all of us together produce, it still pales in comparison to what goes through the local grocery store. Every exactly. Year. Yeah. And we're only a town of just over 2000. Like this is a small rural community, right. but if you were still to compare the sheer volume of food produced compared to one grocery store, we are a drop in the bucket. Right. Like if all of us just stopped, the grocery store would still be able to get enough food for everybody. So this idea that we're somehow competing with each other is just absurd. We're not, there's room for everybody. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really the best way to do it. And also if anything that the Panini has taught us, right. Is that Mm -hmm. the way that we're doing food in the United States is not working plain and simple. The, the marketing is just not even there anymore. But like, what I mean is that the butchering is done by one mass plant. Mm -hmm. When everyone got COVID, the whole plant shut down. Right. And it's still happening when we rely on one place to butcher all of this animals to feed the whole United States. That's where it fails. And I think that people are starting to see the importance of getting your food locally. Like we are providing. And, um, I just hope that it continues because everyone deserves to be fed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we, and just as to, you know, the, um, the butchering and processing and having multiple small producers that should not consider one another competition is that the only way for multiple butcher shops to be in an area and thrive is for there to be multiple farms. Exactly. You know, I don't produce enough pork every year to keep a butcher shop in business right? would be that I got to that point in production, but I don't see that happening. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so in order for there to be the resources that I need to succeed as a farm, to have a poultry processing plant, to have a butcher shop, both custom, both USTA, and for those businesses to be at the scale so that they can order in bulk and survive themselves, then there needs to be other farm to pr- farm to table farms in the yeah. area. Right. And so that just all feeds into the more we all succeed, the more we all succeed. Exactly. And it's just a, a mindset that I find a lot healthier 
right. than looking around at other farms and thinking like, oh my gosh, they're my competition. Like, no, right. they are my colleagues. Right. Yeah. And we actually, that's interesting that you brought it up. It's, I don't know what the butcher situation is in your place, but in most of the States you have to schedule out like 18 months now for a pig, which used to be unheard of. So yeah. we actually got another butcher shop in my town, which is amazing. Cause same thing. It's like 2000 people, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they saw the need for one. So they did build another one. And that's great. Like I love my butcher, so I probably won't go to the other one, but other people are, and they're supporting him. And the only way that that can continue to be sustained is if people shop locally, like you buy a whole hog, if you can afford it from Mm -hmm. a farmer. And if you can't, maybe they sell cuts. Like I think you sell cuts correctly. We do. Yeah. Cuts are a great way to support your local farmer. And it's really keeping the money in your local economy too. There is value. And I think almost always now we are comparable to what you get in the store and it's better quality. Very much so. Right. It's really amazing to me how much the meat has gone up in the store. So like it blows me away that we can be comparing our prices to what you get in the store. Exactly. I mean, I haven't, I had not looked at grocery store prices for quite some time because obviously I don't buy meat. Right. You know, like I just, that's not a Every thing. time I go shopping, <laughs> they're like, they assume I'm a vegetarian, right? I have had that happen too. You're like, no, like, no, but- no, could not be further from. <laughs> I just make my own meat. It's fine. Exactly. Right. It's like, you know, why, why buy when right. you can make your own? Right. But yeah, I've, I've had that happen to someone like just I, which I still find a little odds. Like I don't comment on what other people are buying, right. but like looks in my car. It's like, are you a vegetarian? I'm like, no. And then I'm like, do I say I'm a farmer? Is right. she looking for a fellow vegetarian? I don't want her feelings. <laughs> Too like, bad you no, can't I'm just really reply not. in real life with a thumbs up. Like that would be the ideal time <laughs> would to be. do it. <laughs> yeah. Just that have really, really awkward motion. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to say here. Right. No move along. (laughs) It's one of those things. I I feel bad for people who are in a food insecure place because they could spend all of their assistance on meat and meat is a great way to sustain your family. When meat is available to people on lower incomes, that's a really good way for them to get all the nutrition that they could possibly need. Yeah. Uh, And it's almost unavailable to people now. And instead of trying to figure that out, people are like, well, you should be vegan or vegetarian, which is a whole nother thing. But when you are on a limited in- income, it's really hard to get every nutrient that you need from vegetables or fruits. It really, really is. And, you know, f- fair warning, another soapbox, you know, very much big on like, Hey, people should eat whatever they want to eat. Absolutely. If you want to be vegetarian, go for it. If you right. want to be vegan, no skin off my nose. Right. But it is so privileged, but being able to be vegetarian and particularly vegan requires a really significant level of privilege. And I don't begrudge the people who have it and want to use that, but it's so unfair to tell that to other people. It is. And that it, that is one thing that just kind of bothers me, you know, just because it, it takes so much knowledge about food, knowledge about cooking time. It's a really time intensive way to cook. And if that's what you want to do, that's cool. Right. But I don't have time for that. No, granted, I just don't want to be vegan on any level. There's no appeal to me, but I can whip up food in no time. You know, if right. you've got like ground beef and some vegetables and some potatoes, like yeehaw, you have a meal right. and it's very easy. It's very nutrient dense and it tastes really good. Right. And that's just not something that you can do and get adequate nutrition, especially for kids right. as a vegan. Right. And then of course, trying to get kids to eat it is a whole nother ball gang. <laughs> I am regularly just humbled when nieces and nephews visit and like yeah. the things that I think are just amazing. I think I'm a good cook. And they're like, um, could we have waffles and chocolate milk? I'm like, 
Sure. 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 That's yeah. Fine. You have to really eat <laughs> humble pie with kids. Absolutely. Right. Right. It's one of those things. I guess we should talk about how we met. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know how long ago it was. It was quite a few years ago, right? It when did was. you start raising pigs? That's how we met. Let's see. I started, we got our first batch of just four pigs in 2018. Okay. I think 2017, 2018, yeah, a I'm few years think, ago. I think it was before I was pregnant and I was pregnant mm-hmm. in 2016, 2017. So it had to be mm-hmm. around 2016, I think. Cause I think you already had three kids by the time we met. Maybe, okay. maybe, I don't know. It's been so long. Yeah. Probably 2017. So mm-hmm. you got four pigs. Right. Yep. Got four pigs. Now I'm, I'm really thinking about this, you know, the whole t- timeline of life. It's like, when did this happen? And when did that happen? Yeah. Um, because the, the spring of 2018 was when I finally left hospital nursing mm-hmm. after 15 years, which was more than enough. Right. And that was when we started with four pigs and raised them on pasture. So I think that's when I started seeking out um, infor- more information. Right. And so I joined the pastured pigs for meat and profit group. Yeah. And, um, so yes, yeah, we started out super, super small. Um, but yeah, I, I pretty, pretty quickly realized that both you and Courtney were like, oh, that's where I want to be. And yeah. that's the level that I want to get to as far as raising pigs. So I was kind yeah. of fangirling. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Courtney is a really good friend of mine and she's been doing pastured pigs for a very long time. She's very good at it. She raises mule foots. She's kind of taken a step back from like marketing. Same, same as I have. I just sell wiener pigs basically now, but we both have dedicated a lot of time to helping people, especially women who are Mm -hmm. stronger because men on internet forums, no surprise can be very demeaning. It is amazing. And my favorite thing is just like knocking them down a notch a little bit. Sometimes it is really, really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that most know how much experience I've gathered over the years, but they're not saying anything anymore, like arguing with me anymore. So maybe they know, but Mm -hmm. I think when it, when I started interacting with you is when your pigs got sunburned. Yes. Yeah. I think that was really the first time I posted something significant. Cause of course this is at this point, it's the second time I've raised pigs. Right. And I had gone from four to 12. So, right. like, which is a big jump. Really? It really is. You know, we yeah. just have these moments of like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> and the other factor is that cause the first year I was able to get pigs that had a little more coloring. Like I had a Duroc mix who was red and then yeah. a couple other guys um, who were more like gray brown. And then that next year, the only feeders I could find, like fighting feeders is such a challenge. Um, but the only feeders I could find are pink. Yeah. And so, I mean, they had shelter, they had mud, but within a couple days of us getting these little pigs, they are making like the most hideous back curling motions. And yeah. I will admit part of my problem is that I spent 10 years as an ICU nurse. Exactly. So I've seen so many terrible things. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. Like that. I imagine like I'm looking at these pigs and I am completely convinced that my pigs have a neurological disorder. Right. It does look like that when they do that, because it's just a convulsion of some sorts. Like you think Mm -hmm. it is neurological, but you can't apply human science to pigs. Like they just make, right. They don't make no sense as an animal, but so yeah, it was a great moment because I am, I'm scouring online. I'm ha- looking at an ag textbook online, trying to figure out like infectious neurological disorders. In <laughs> I pigs. love that's I'm, where your mind just totally, went to. <laughs> totally. And I'm like, my godfather is retired vet. I was about to call him be like, what do I do? <laughs> and, and of course, if I've got something wildly contagious, I need to be responsible and report. Right. I mean, just my brain is just going off. Right. 
And uh, I, so I took a little video and I post up on the pastured pig forum and immediately the first response was your pigs have sunburn. I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's such like a simple answer. And then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Their, their pig skin is a little red. It's yeah. called dippity pig syndrome. Uh, you can tell that farmers just like come up with these weird names, <laughs> right? Who yeah. Of that? Right. Dippity pig syndrome, but it is literally, they're just dipping their backs because mm-hmm. it's a response to the sunburn, but yeah. Cause it's uncomfortable. I mean, I think yeah. I am also very pale skinned and I get a sunburn, you know, like I try to be responsible. I try to be careful. It happens. It happens. And yeah. Um, so yeah, you're kind of like twitching and itching and you know, their skin toughened up and they got over it and, yeah, and it happens. Right. But I, that's the thing. When you raise livestock, you learn so fast. That's the only way that you can learn is by raising Mm -hmm. them. Really. You have to be thrown into the fire to understand it really. And you did a good job. Well, thank you. It's like the theory of everything is just so much easier. Right. um, So I'm, I'm forever fascinated by people who like have, you know, act as if they have so much knowledge and they've raised like four pigs. And I'm like, no, no (laughs) girl. That is like every man I've ever talked to that's raised pigs, you know, they all have the answers. And they do remember that, you know, once I figured out it was sunburn, I'm like, oh, okay. And then you get well-meaning people who are like, you got to make sure they have shelter and make sure they have water and mud, which is totally fine. They already did. Um, But I also see a lot of people responding that like, oh, that you can somehow almost with the implication that you can prevent it. And the reality is like, if your pigs are pink, they're going to get sunburn. Exactly. Because they can't comprehend you know, to like, get out of the sun. Exactly. Right. Like they don't know. I mean, I know better and I'm still dumb enough to get sunburned on right, a, exactly. you know, at least every year. And so there's really no way, like even with plenty of shelter and even with plenty of mud, it's going to happen. Their yeah. skin will toughen up. Life will go on and it's okay. Right. It is. Yeah. And there's not, so with pink pigs, they truly were made to be raised in a confined operation. Mm-hmm. that's what their application is. But I've seen you do this time and time again, you're taking those pink pigs, white pigs and placing them on pasture and doing, doing it successfully. Yeah, they do great. I mean, we're, we're certainly working on um, sourcing feeder pigs that are different breeds, but as of thus far, I mean, it has almost been comical failed attempts for me to get non-pink feeder pigs. Right. Like it, it's, I guess I shouldn't even say comical. It's not very comical. It's it's like this comedy of errors because every single year, you know, like I will be this close to getting not pink feeder pigs and it just doesn't work. Doesn't work. And so right now I am talking with a coworker actually, who she started working um, in my, the clinic where I work recently and just in casual conversation. It turns out that she and her husband used to raise pigs and she loves raising pigs and loves farrowing. Yeah. She's not interested in marketing. She's not interested in, you know, making like a meat based business, but she really enjoys raising pigs, but they Mm -hmm. stopped doing it because they really couldn't, you know, make it pay because so many people were not willing to pay reasonably for feeder pigs. Yeah. And I'm like, I would be delighted to pay <laughs> fairly. Like, have you met me? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, let's have some conversations. Right. So this only happened recently. So they need, you know, we're kind of looking for them to be an ongoing source next year and, that would and be going great. on because, you know, they need to raise the gilts and, you know, make it takes plans. time. Yeah, exactly. You can't just be like, oh, sure. I'll just not have pigs, but I'll produce feeder pigs for you this spring. It doesn't right. work that way. But I'm very hopeful that this will be a more sustainable plan. And, and again, with the whole, 
when everybody wins, everybody wins. Yeah. Because if she can do something that she really loves to do and get paid fairly for it, and she also lives, gosh, eight miles from me. Oh, that's I mean, amazing. How wonderful would that be? Right. Um, to just be able to like go say, you know, stay within the county and go get my feeder pigs. Yeah. And she's completely willing to pretty much breed to my specifications. And so we have more talking to do and, you know, like get the breeds that I'm interested in because I, I am truly interested in getting more heritage type breeds and, you know, definitely ones that are going to do really well on pasture and really yeah. excel and, and make, you know, this long-term growth. Um, but I will say pink pigs get a bad rap. And part of it is very deserved. On the flip side, if they're healthy to begin with and you take good care of them, they're still pigs. You know, right. like they're not they're not an actual different species. They're still pigs and they can do well. Um, you know, they're not going to have they're going to have a different flavor profile than other pigs and they're going to get sunburned. But it works. Right. You know, it's one of those like, okay, is it ideal? Well, no, it's not, but a lot of things aren't ideal. And I, I do find um, in small farming and regenerative to regenerative agriculture. It's hard to say. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a big word. There is unfortunately, at least I think it's unfortunate, a really big like purist mindset. Right. And I think that can be really harmful to people who have any sort of barriers between them and farming. Yeah. And the pink pig thing is honestly one of them. Yeah. And because like, if that's what you can get, is it better to do that and get started? Yeah. Or is it better to like wait four years and not even start a business or not even try raising your own food? Right. And so I think the more barriers we throw up to people who are just trying to do something, um, you know, the less success that everybody has overall, where it's kind of a better, you know, tactic to take. And like you and Courtney have been awesome. We're just like, well, yeah, they're pink pigs. Then they'll still grow. And like, maybe someday you'll be able to get not pink pigs and yeah. that's okay too. Right. I think that we also, a, a lot of people in the farming world are so purist on it, but they don't see that you have these roadblocks. Like you don't have anyone producing heritage hogs there. Mm-hmm. You are going to take what you can get and you're doing an amazing job. Like the people who are saying this to have three American guinea hogs, right? I have definitely noticed that. You yeah. Know, I, I remember, I'm not super big on memes on the internet, but one that I have seen that re- really resonated is that you will never be criticized by someone doing more than you. Yeah. And oh my gosh, it's so true. Like right. I really, like I look at all of the, the pig farmers that I admire and look up to, like you and Courtney and Melissa, none of you have ever criticized me for having pink pigs. You know, none of you have ever criticized me for starting with four and then going up to 12. Right. You know, that's never happened. It's literally only the people who are like, I mean, and there are definitely some, some people who are bigger and purists, but they also had like 17 legs up in the process to begin with, you know, like it's super easy to be a purist when you haven't experienced any roadblocks toward getting there. Exactly. And, um, you know, I just, I love our, our women farmers community because everybody is so much more supportive instead of critical that like, you know what you, you farm, you farm the farm you have exactly. And you kind of figure it out. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the people who have like three Guinea hogs that are borderline pets, right. That they are the ones who are like, oh, well, you know, you're not really doing everything right. Right. Like, I mean, 
congratulations for to you, but <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, think or sometimes you'll get it from hobby farmers and like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with being a hobby farmer, but it's a whole different thing than what I'm doing. Exactly. And you need to put, it's not like you can raise something for 18 months. You're not raising mangalitas because you mm-hmm. do not have the setup to do that over winter. Mm-hmm. Number two, you're not making any money. If you did it that way, you are doing what you need to, to make a profit. And exactly. that's what counts, right? Right. Cause if you're not making a profit, it's a hobby, not a business. Right. Exactly. And again, nothing wrong with hobby nothing farming, wrong with it, no. um, but I do think that, that far too often in the farming community, we don't talk about that, right. That, you know, you, you have to make money. Otherwise it is not a business. Otherwise you cannot take a tax deduction. Right. Otherwise you're never going to be able to grow and function as a business and, and have a life in which the business, you know, provides anything for you. And again, if that's what you want, that's totally cool. Right. We certainly hit a point, you know, in like, Hey, we're either going to grow to make this a thing or it's going to be a hobby and either yeah. choice is okay. Um, but we also can't put the expectations of one onto another. Exactly. Yeah. I'm so glad that you were able to come do this because it's, kind of a perspective that people get stuck on. I raise a heritage hog because that's what I like to do. I'm Mm -hmm. no longer trying to make a profit off of that. I use their fat for other ways, like making soap to make a profit off that. That's just what I prefer to do. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm just so busy with other life things. Right. Right. And there's nothing wrong with the way I'm doing it and you're doing it at a bigger scale than I am, but we can help each other out with questions or topics like ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I have noticed that females are so good about is that we are so supportive of each other. And we've made this group of people that mm-hmm. I've really grown to love. So, yeah, I just adore it. And I, I think another thing that our group of women does really well is to acknowledge that for different phases in your life, you're going to have different goals yeah. with your farm, your homestead, your life in, in, in general, and that things can change, you know, just because you um, maybe ran a profit focused business 10 years ago, that doesn't mean that you have to keep doing it. Yeah. And just because it's a hobby now doesn't mean that it can't grow into something else because your life changes. Phases of life are so very different and have different priorities yeah. and, you know, life changes. And then the farm changes along with that. And, and that's okay. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, I guess I would say it's, it can be dangerous to get stuck in a mindset that, you know, this is what I want to do. Therefore, this is always what I want to do Exactly, um, because life changes drastically. You know, 10 years ago, I was living in the most densely populated zip code in Wisconsin, living in Milwaukee, walking to work and working in the burn ICU doing rotating 12 hour shifts. Right. Now that is not the case. <laughs> right. It's so vastly like in, different now. Yeah. Like I'm in tiny rural Barron County. The only thing I, I could walk to my neighbors if I wanted to, but <laughs> even that it, like, it's a hike, you know, yeah. it wouldn't, it's not like a little stroll down the block and, um, life is different and life changes. Yeah. It's very seasonal too with that. And like seasons in a year, like your life is goes through seasons as well. Mm-hmm. So that's great that you acknowledge that. So like what worked well for you last year, we're in the new month, January, new year, I'm just wondering what worked well for you and your farm and anything you'd change. So in 2021, um, that was when all of a sudden it seemed like maybe we almost know what we're doing. (laughs) You had a grasp of it, right? (laughs) Exactly. We have a running joke that our real farm motto is we don't know what we're doing, but we're doing it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way you learn. I swear. Exactly. You just kind of keep going. Yeah. But there were a lot of moments in 2021 where like, oh, we're actually we're actually getting the hang of this and realizing how much we learned. Yes. 
Um, so, you know, we've, we've developed some systems for feeding, loading, moving um, our livestock. So things are just easier than it was, you know, when we first got um, pigs, our method of loading was donuts and prayers. So (laughs) (laughs) I think we've talked about that on the podcast so many times. It's just pig loading. If you're used, you're used to cattle, right? Dairy cattle. A little bit. We didn't have to load them a whole lot. Right. Right. But you could like, they're just easier. Right. Whereas pigs you can't just load them. It just does no, not work out. That it way. is such an art form. And we now have a setup that works really well. Yeah. Um, but boy, that first year, it was literally donuts and prayers. And yes. even the second year, you know, the first batch of six was great. Um, we just, you know, kind of shoved, like prompted them in there. I don't even want to say shove because you can't shove a pig. No. Um, but we like prompted them in there, you know, um, bribed them with stale donuts from the local bakery. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> my, works. Yeah. My niece was working um, at the local bakery at the time. So she would get like sacks of stale donuts. And I'm like, oh, pigs are going to be delighted with this. <laughs> Let's get on the trailer guys. And so we just, you know, got a whole bunch on and that, and then let everybody but six off. It was not yeah. a sophisticated sorting system, but it worked. But then the last six pigs, it just didn't. And I ended up like completely giving up, not knowing what we were going to do. My husband was working late at the time. So he wasn't even going to be home until two. And then like my parents came over and they tried to help and they had more donuts and nothing worked. And then finally I gave up and I almost went to bed and then it started storming. And just to see, I just like walked out to the field again and all six pigs had just gone into the trailer because we had put it in their enclosure. Yeah. And they all went in and started sleeping there to get out of, of the, the storm. storm. Yeah. And I leapt that electric fence like my <laughs> five foot four self cannot normally do and ran there and I shut the door and I counted so many times. Like there's six, there's really six, there's really six. I'm it's good. really happening. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm shining around like lights around the rest of the field because I'm like so afraid that I'm missing one. <laughs> right. Like one, you just have seven pigs now instead of six, right? right. <laughs> they just magically <laughs> was, appeared. Oh my gosh. It was so ridiculous. But yeah, so that it was really just a matter of of like a storm and luck, which is donuts and prayers is not even an exaggeration. Um, So then, you know, the next year we got pig boards and wow, that helped. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. What that can do. Yeah. So note to new pig farmers, buy the pig boards before you get the pigs. Right. Um, We just just tried to make some out of plywood and Mm -hmm. it's horrendous. It is. They are worth just buying the darn things. I'm just, yeah. Then they're, they're built nicely for pigs. So if Mm -hmm. you are looking into getting that, maybe this is a good time to do so. It really is. Just, just plan ahead. Like before right. you even get the feeder pigs, get yourself some big boards. Sorting boards make it so much nicer. too. And so um, 2021 was also the first year that we had a full-time farmer. Um, Stefan has been on the farm full-time since April. Okay. And that has made a huge difference um, because in 2020, we were both working off the farm. Yeah. Uh, he is a diesel mechanic and he was working like 50 hours a week, plus a 45 minute each way commute, plus having on call for like trucks broken down on the road. Yeah. And then I work 32 hours a week in the clinic and Mm -hmm. my commute isn't bad. Um, But between the two of us, we were just gone so much that it was just very, very demanding. And we made it through 2020, like by the skin of our teeth. And by the time then, like the butcher dates got delayed because of COVID. So by the time we got the last of our pigs to the butcher in December. Oh my gosh. Yeah. December in Wisconsin. And like, we just collapsed. We were so exhausted. Like I remember just feeling like a zombie until the end of January. We were just so done. And after that, we kind of realized like we, we can't do this again. So we either need to, you know, really focus and hone in on this being a business 
um, that will be a significant contributor to our income, or we need to scale back and make it a hobby. Right. So we spent some time really thinking about that because there's there's definitely an appeal of just having your off-farm jobs and then coming home and like having your four pigs. It's and, yeah. Yeah. Like it was so manageable at that level. Yeah. And um, so we we really gave it a lot of thought, but ultimately we decided like, no, this, this is what we want to do. So, you know, early 2021 was when we had that, like, come to Jesus, like, yes, we yeah. want this to be a real business and we're going to do it. And so, you know, there's certainly been a lot of like stumbling through and figuring out how to do that. Um, but that was when things started to really pick up and like, oh, we're, we're getting the hang of this. Like we know how to raise chickens. We know how to load chickens and all those little bits and pieces and details that are just getting easier as we kind of develop these systems and, and put them into place. And, um, you know, I took a marketing course because that's new. <laughs> and that so is think- like the best thing you could ever do. It really is. And I will, I will shout out to her. It was, um, cultivating capital by Kelsey Joris and Olison. Okay. It's a really good intro to marketing. Now, is Um, this just for farming or is it? She's really more for farming. Okay. That's really awesome. Yeah. Like I really do think that you could apply it to any sort of, of, um, you know, small business Mm -hmm. in just that sense of like, how do I market myself and how do I communicate? Um, because I always say like, Registered nurses do not have to market themselves. No. I have <laughs> never had to market myself in my Weird. life. Yeah. I mean, just, and of course I also became a nurse um, in 2003 when they were like offering sign-on bonuses for like, please right. come work with us. And, um, and there's been ups and downs in that. Of course. But during my career, I've never, I mean, I, it, like I decide the job that I want. So then I apply and then I interview and then I get it. So I had no experience in business or marketing right. on any level. So right. that course was a really helpful onboarding to figure out like, where do I even start? Yeah. And um, so then I signed up for the Graze Cart platform, um, which will actually be moving away from this year, but it was still a good experience to kind of get everything going. And I so, think that's, yeah, one of those things you can learn from, and then you can apply what you've learned onto your own system. Very much so. Yeah. And um, because what I really wanted, especially with the pandemic and, you know, people are a little hesitant about, um, you know, being face to face because before you, we could have like store hours in the evening and our store is our front porch. I mean, it's right. a four season front porch, but it's a front porch in an old farmhouse. And so people could come and kind of like look through chest freezers and figure out what they want. Right. And so it's, it's less than ideal, but again, it's always less than ideal. Right. Um, But then with the pandemic, um, and especially before vaccines were out, like, do people really want to be coming um, onto the porch and like, you know, and I would certainly like wear a mask when people came. Right. Um, And then of course, it also doesn't help that everybody in my community knows that I'm a nurse. So then there's a little bit of paranoia, like around COVID patients. I'm like, well, I mean, yes, right. (laughs) but what am I going to do? Literally my job. Yeah, exactly. Like there's really, really no avoiding it for me. Right. Never has been. And so I wanted them to be able to order online and, um, and for, for so many reasons. And so I set up Gray's cart and did that. And that was a really big benefit. And that also allowed us to, um, start partnering with Amber and Logan. And we put all of our products on the online store. So that way people could order everything because, Mm -hmm. you know, they have their products at their place and we have our products at our place. And so I couldn't really maintain like a good stock of beef and Turkey for people to pick up anything. So if they order online, then I get their order, you know, well ahead of time so that I can pick up the stuff from the other farm that they need to have it ready for them. Yeah. 
And, um, and I, I've even found for some elderly customers, they just love the fact that they can decide they want ahead of time. And then they just pull up and we bring it right in because so they nice. don't have, yeah, like they don't have to worry about getting out of their car and it's icy and, and it's cold. Yeah, yeah. Like everything is just ready. Here you go. It so, makes it, I think you have an edge over people at like the grocery store, nothing wrong with the grocery store. I utilize the grocery store all the time and ours does do, they do deliver to your car. But Mm -hmm. this is such a nice way for people to support the local economy, get what they want, like special cuts, you know, like where else could you get a pork shoulder steak besides from you? Right. Exactly. So that is awesome that you've been able to do that. So, yeah, that was a huge boon. I was really, really glad that we made that transition. Yeah. And we've had people say that, like, well, we just found you online and we bought from you because I could see what you had. Yeah, Um, because that is kind of one of the downside. I think a lot of times when we don't have a lot of information online, people are used to being able to go online and find all the information about a business that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And they want to know what our products are. So if you're going online and all you see is that like, well, you know, we've got a farm and they've got chicken and pork and they're open these hours what does that even mean right. versus, and like, that's a, that's another barrier for them to cross before they mm-hmm. go buy local food. Um, because we've been finding like so many people, even in this very rural agricultural area are still kind of amazed that you can actually buy food directly from a farmer. Yes. You know, like they just don't know. So right. to be able to go online and see like, well, I see that they have boneless skinless chicken breast and I see that they have pork chops. And so I can pick out what I want and have everything ready. And it's just so much easier for them. And it, it kind of answers their questions before we start because mm-hmm. so many people, they just want their questions answered and they probably feel awkward you know, emailing and asking everything. So if they can just look at your website and understand this is everything you have, this is how much it is, this is what I do. And then, you know, we just bring it out to their car. Yeah. I'm the same way too. If I have to call somebody, I'm just not purchasing it. Yeah. It's over. It's over at that point. Right. (laughs) Have a good day. Right. Exactly. And like, we, we have a phone number for phone calls because we, you know, there are people in our community, um, who don't do the computer and that's completely fine. And it is cute because I have handed out my business card, but since we have a landline, we're also in the phone book. Yep. Yep. So we really end up getting orders just over the landline. Like, hi there. This is, which is great. Yeah. It's completely fine. I'm totally happy to do it that way. And, you know, check or cash is also completely fine with us. They don't have to order online, but the vast majority of our customers do. And like the generational gap is kind of, kind of amusing. Right. Yeah. And I think that since you've developed it that way, you make it available for every generation because there Mm -hmm. are people that are younger that want to buy it and they all do it online. Whereas like we said, older folks might want to call and order. That's just great that you're able to adapt. And I think that's part of the marketing too. It really is. And it's also part of serving our community. Yeah. We, there are, there's definitely a a population. There's actually a lady. uh, Okay. So she goes to my church. I've known her forever. Um, She's also, because it's this small of a world up here, my stepsister's grandmother. Of course. And she likes individually packaged bone and skin on chicken breasts. Okay really nobody else wants these. Yeah. That's a very niche. Item exactly. Right but that is what she likes. Um, she's the only person for whom we do home delivery because she does not drive. Right. Um, but, Good for her. She knows what she likes. She's, exactly. And I will drop them off happily and she's lovely to see, but I, I very literally had some bone in skin on chicken breast individually packaged for her um, during our last, just because like that's, that's what she wants. Yeah. And a small business can do that. You know, a large business is not going to know that like this specific person is going to want about this many of this product. So I'm going to make sure that she has that available to her. That's amazing that you're able to do that. 
And she's just one of the sweetest humans ever. Of course. So I'm right. happy to do it, but I also think it's a really good example of like, this is what small business does. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's a really good example of it for sure. So that's awesome that you're able to do all of that. And do you have any goals for the new year then? I have 5,000 goals for the new I year. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> your, your mind works similar to mine where you're like, okay, always thinking like, what can I do this year? What can I do this month? What can I do with this hour? Right. Yes. And I yeah. just, it never really shuts up. Sometimes I'm, I'm probably borderline scary because you get me started on talking about like, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I'll tell you. Yeah. Here's my <laughs> list. Yes. So last year we started regional shipping just in the upper Midwest with a regional yeah. shipping carrier. And this year we want to go nationwide and we're going to build a new website. We're going to be switching over to Shopify. I think that's going to give us a lot more options. And I, quite frankly, I like the look of it. You know, Grace Cart's been great, but there's a lot of stuff that I'm finding is now a limitation for where I want to go. And that's not going to be true for every business, but I have almost ridiculous aspirations. Right. No, I think that's good. That's the only way that you can grow. Yeah. You just kind of look at this and like, okay, well, this is working, but more and more it's working with modifications. And when I look at where we want to go in the next few years, it makes more sense to make a big shift now Yeah, Um, because we're still really pretty small. I mean, we raised 27 pigs last year and 360 chickens. Like we're not a big operation by any definition. That's pretty good size though. Yeah, it is. But it's not like, you know, you compare some of these like much larger operations. Yeah. Like Jordan Green is what comes to mind. Whereas exactly like he's processing hundreds of pigs and, and I'm nowhere near that. Like, do I want to get there? Yes, but I'm nowhere near that now. But that also tells me that like, I really want to make these shifts now so that I have the platform that will support where I want to go so that I'm not getting there and then hindered by things and then backtracking. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of invested again. And so I I did the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the five Mary's entrepreneur programs. Um, yes. But yeah, so I, I invested in the small business accelerator and it's a lot of money. And part of me was just like really, really twitching. And then I finally hit the button. Um, but, you but, know, but you have to invest in yourself. Like that. that's exactly the thing. And I, I do think that maybe that's something that like we as a small farm community should talk about more is that we do need to invest in ourselves. Um, because what, can you tell them, whole... sorry, can oh, you tell them okay. what that is? The five okay, Marys. so so Five Marys is uh, a pasture-based farm in Northern California. That's yeah, and they raise lamb, beef, and pork. They and also have a restaurant too, right? They do. They have yeah. a restaurant. Um, they have all sorts of stuff. They I have mean, like a homeschool program too, I think. She, yeah, she's and like a, a ranch kids. Like they have just it's absolute whatever your mind can think of. Everything. Yes. yes. And so I think they've been in business on the final seven, eight years. I don't remember exactly, but she has a long history of building successful businesses. And so they're really at the scale that I dream of being Mm -hmm. and, or maybe like a couple steps down from there, but that's, that's kind of like my trajectory as far as what I want to do with the farm and not necessarily the same side businesses, but I have some similar ideas um, to partner with other people and really grow. Yeah. And so she teaches the small business accelerator, which is, um, it's like a course split into three parts for building your business, the infrastructure of it, how to sell and market, how to do social media processing, and also perishable shipping. And Amber and I hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed. She had been um, you know, looking at it for quite some time, but it's a significant investment. And finally, we just decided we had breakfast together at a cafe and you know, talked for two and a half hours. And, <laughs> and then I talked with someone who had taken the course. And she's oh, like, yeah. it's 
worth it. Like she's just killing it, can barely keep stuff in stock. She took it two years ago and I just decided like, this is it, I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I do think, and that's something I I certainly struggle with as a farmer and also someone who grew up on a farm is that skin flint mentality of always trying to save money and be conservative. And that's beneficial to an extent, but there are times where you just got to pull the trigger and spend the money and do it right. Like get the good chainsaw. Yeah. And, and just do things that like, this is an investment in me and my business that will pay off in the future. Right. So we did it. I cringed, but let me tell you, as soon as I got into the content, I'm like worth it. It just yeah. has so much of the nitty gritty of like, this is really how to do stuff um, and how to really grow your business. So, and, and that's kind of where I got the recommendation um, to switch over to Shopify. Oh, okay. So I, I just use Shopify. So I kind of as practice, but also I wanted to do this for her. Um, my mom does quilts. Yes. And, um, and she's, oh, she's so cute. What is her, it's like the same name is yours, right? It's- it is because Spring Hill Heritage Farm is the name of the farm. My great grandparents yeah. named it Spring Hill years and ago. You had to keep it. Yeah, exactly. How do you not? I mean, right. there's like, you know, signs that are older than me that say That's Spring amazing. Hill. Yeah. And so mom calls it Spring Hill Heritage Farm Quilts. I love that. And then I made the domain springhillquilts.com because yeah. Spring Hill Heritage Farm Quilts. It's a lot. Just be, it is. It is. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we might be doing some branding with just Spring Hill Quilts just to, to simplify. And so, so actually I'm, I will just do a shameless plug for my mom because do. she's adorable and like the best mom ever. I, I oh, lucked out to an extent. I could, I could never say enough about how amazing oh. she is. Um, so she is springhillquilts.com. And I'm still loading products on there, but she makes handmade quilts, like children's full size. And she yeah. makes handmade cloth market bags. And oh, I love that. Yeah. And like, she does really, really beautiful work. So this is a small business that she, she's been quilting for years, ever mm-hmm. since I was little. You can um, tell by then, looking at her quilts because you have to put in the time to do it, to get that yes, good as she is. Very much so. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid um, going to bed and as I was falling asleep, I could hear the sewing machine. Oh, that makes you feel like very at home, right? Oh, totally. Totally. And and she's very big on like, Hey, these quilts are made to be used, you know, like snuggle up with your kids, put them through the wash. It's fine. That's what they're for. That's great. So yeah, we just built her. She just had a Facebook um, profile, but she really wants to kind of grow and sell more um, because she's really, really enjoying it. And so I made her a Shopify site and um, I've only put one product in there so far. I'm still like working on the back end of things. Yeah. Hopefully by the time this airs, I'll have more products uploaded. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to be looking now. I hope so because it's just darling. And if nothing else, like y'all, if you could just like her Facebook page, I would just appreciate Bless, that yes. on a personal level because she would be so happy. That, that makes me happy. Like her getting all these followers overnight, please do it. It would be so I, fun. I admit, I love the idea. It would be great. Yeah. And, and, it, and I will say, you know, I've been wanting to build her a website for a while and I just like, I just had to buckle down and do it. And once I decided on Shopify, I was looking at it like, yep, this is the right choice. And I will admit for selfish reasons, it's worked out very well because now that I spent some time doing her website, which really, you know, she only has a few types of products and she doesn't have complicated shipping because she's not shipping anything frozen. Frozen. Yeah. And so that made it a lot easier now that I'm looking at, okay, now we're going to be building the farm website on Shopify. I feel like I have a much better idea Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, how I'm going to do this. So I don't know that I can really recommend the strategy of like, make sure your mom has a small business and build a website for that before you start your own. (laughs) But so far that's working from, it really is. It's like a very unique thing that like, well, if that happens to work out for you, go ahead and build your mom a website. 
So do you find that the fees are, cause that's what I was kind of scared away from Shopify because I didn't know the fees. Like mm-hmm. they kind of don't make it very super clear, I guess, but it looks to me like you can spend about as much as you want to spend because you can yeah. do a lot of add-ons Right. Uh, for my mom's site. I did the $29 a month um, okay. program and a yeah. free theme. And so I'm looking at ours and I think to start with, it'll be about our level. Um, but you know, I'm spending over 120 a month with Gray's cart. Oh, okay. And, and I got to say, and I don't want to like bash Gray's cart, but I also think just in like honest feedback and to let other farmers know if they're looking at it, I don't know that I'm getting $120 a month worth of value right. out of that. And so, you know, looking at being able to combine other things, um, it just looks like a much better deal to me. Right. And it's not just about money. It's also about function. Um, but there kind of comes a point where it's like, I, I love the concept of a website platform built for farmers by farmers, but like they got to keep up. And, and I think Shopify's just, just that. Shopify has been around for so long and it's developed for a multitude of like things you could sell yes. pretty much anything on there. Right. Yes. Whereas it's hugely flexible. Grace cart. I love the idea of it. I just think that it needs to be developed more. That's exactly it. And, and I will say like, I do think, I do think Grace cart can be a great platform. If you need something that's like all in one wash and wear, I need to plug it in. They tell you what to do. They've got excellent tutorials. Um, if you are want to, you know, go strictly by the pound, um, it can be fantastic. It's user-friendly. It's great on the user end. So I don't want to bash it. Um, I just, it's just no longer what I'm looking for as far as, you know, growth and options and flexibility. Yeah. And I know that there are other places, like, you know, how apps are developed, right? Mm -hmm. One app is developed on that specific platform. Now there's a whole bunch that are being developed too, for the same purpose. So I think that if you're new to this and you want to try and figure it out, that's a great way to start if you can afford it. Right. Exactly. So if you're somebody that's butchering, I don't know, 30 chickens a month or something like that, whatever everyone wouldn't be worth it. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like there's different price points for everyone doing this. And just because you're at a lower price point doesn't mean that you can't do it. Right. Some people are successfully selling on Facebook. They are. There's so many options and like Squarespace is a great option. It's user-friendly and you know, you can be like different options. Like just go online and look at the options, like 12 a month, 18 a month. Um, you know, you can get WordPress for a very reasonable way, but that requires a lot more knowledge and a lot more patience and learning curve. Yeah. Whereas Squarespace is a little more like plug and play. Like this is how you can do this. Yeah. I just bought, I think I spent a hundred dollars to get my own website. Right. Mm-hmm. But I had to develop literally every part of it. Yeah. Luckily I'm used to doing that. So I was able to save money because I am really cheap, like mm-hmm. really cheap. And it does cost me hours though. So like, am I saving money? Probably not, but it's right. already done. Right. Yeah. So. And it's, it's one of those where like, you just kind of have to decide. And I, I like knowing how things work. And I also find myself like, I want to build it because I want to understand how it works on the back end, And I yeah. want to be able to change things as needed. Yeah. I don't want to have to call somebody and be like, Hey, can you change this for me? Right. Um, but that's also just my personality. I'm a little more comfortable with tech. And I mean, I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I I'm okay. Like if I've got yeah. a tutorial, I will figure it out. Right. But everybody's going to have a different comfort level. Exactly. So yeah, I think just developing, like you learned that you can move on from Gray's cart. Like it was a good jumping off point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something to be looked into, right? Yeah. And I definitely don't regret signing up for it. I mean, Mm -hmm. just now it's like, okay, now it's time to move on. Right. Um, But I got to say, like, just looking at like what I did with my mom's Shopify, um, I think I got a domain for 12 bucks. I did get her the Google workspace just because I thought she might like it, Yeah. Um, but I paid for it (laughs) because she's my mom. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> and then 29 bucks a month, you know, for a website that allows online ordering, facilitates shipping. And I didn't have to put in any plugins for her site. Mm -hmm. So I think that for, for the majority of what people are producing, that's probably going to do it. And I yeah. may end up spending a little bit more um, because I'm going to want more features. I have yet to really get into it. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but all in all, I'd still be spending less than right. what I'm already spending. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. So yeah, it's just, it's all a process. And, you know, just like we talked about earlier with life cycles, things change and it's right. okay for things to change. Right. That's great. I just really want to like really dial in to everything I'm doing and make this take off. And I hopefully will get things situated with our friend who wants to then raise pigs. Um, because if I could get a more reliable source for feeder pigs, that would expand a lot of options. Because right yeah. now, you know, every single season, I'm just scrambling to try to figure out. And then like I had a source and then he decided to do contract. I'm like, Ugh. so um, I'm going to oh, be gosh. looking for feeder pigs again. Yeah. And I, I really, really want to kind of get, um, get solid in a source and in a source that is exactly what I want. So yeah. that's going to take some legwork this year, but that's the big mission. And we probably want to scale up a little bit on chickens. Um, I think I'll wait to scale up a bit more. Well, I think we're going up a little bit more on pigs, um, but not much. And yeah. I'd really like to increase chicken production. And the, the big thing is we want to start shipping nationwide. That's awesome. And do you, with your chickens, do you process yourself or do you send out to be processed? We take them to a poultry processing facility. Okay. We're super lucky. We have one 20 minutes away. That's amazing. Most people are at least four hours at the yeah. least, and then you don't recover costs. So you no. are recovering costs though. Exactly. Like yeah. I, I cannot fathom like having your whole day is chickens because you have to travel so far. And yeah. of course, since the, the plant we go to is USDA inspected, that is part of what allows us, you know, to ship to other States. Yeah. That's a huge one. I guess that's another reason you want to look into like laws in each state. Like yes. Montana just recently passed a law where we can do under, I think 300 birds or a thousand, mm -hmm. um, in-house and then sell them, but we could never ship out of state. And literally our closest USDA plan is like six hours away. It's ridiculous. Oh gosh. Yeah. Montana's yeah. huge. So it's yeah, just something you want to look into. We're so incredibly lucky to have, yeah. you know, we really have a fair, like sure we could use more red meat processors here. And I hope that happens. Um, but compared to other places, we're extremely fortunate. So are your pigs USDA butchered as well? Both. Okay. So we sell some custom and take them to a custom butcher and like sell okay. them the half in the hole, H half in the hole. Yeah. I would like to keep doing that, um, at least at the level that we're currently doing it, maybe offer more in the future. You know, I like, I like for there to be an option for local people to buy in bulk at a much yeah. lower cost. And of course, there's also the really nice thing of, you know, you know, you collect a deposit during the summer and that really helps with your cash flow. Right. And then you take them to the butcher and you get the rest of the money. And that also really helps with cash flow. Right. Whereas the USDA butcher you're paying to feed them in its entirety. You're not getting anything up front. You're taking them to the butcher. You're writing a check for that, which is really significant. It Worth is. it, but significant. Right. And then you need to sell them to recoup any money. And yeah. so it's a really nice balance. We have several customers who have purchased a half or whole pick from us for now, four years in a row. That's amazing. And they and do so, become just so loyal to you. Oh, totally. Too. And it's like, I really think like if something happened and we decided that we weren't really going to do much of a business anymore, I would still raise picks for them just because I really would want them to have pork. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they're such great people and they're so supportive. And I'm so, I'm so flattered. Like really? 
You're buying from me, me? again. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Your pink pigs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, so that is such a, like, it's such a good customer relationship. And so I would never want to, I mean, things happen, you never know, but my goal is to keep that going because I want that to continue to be an option for them. Right. Um, but more of our pigs end up going to a small USDA butcher about 45 minutes away. And then we sell primarily by the cut. And of course, that's where the shipping comes in. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think that's a really good model that you do because like you said, sometimes your off farm job is paying to get everything processed. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how it used to be all the time. I don't have an off farm job. So it was all of my husband to pay for all this processing to sell cuts. Right. Yeah. And that's just sometimes how it is. But I think that model of selling like half and holes really helps cover those costs. Yeah. It's a really nice balance. And that's also a reason why we like doing poultry because start to finish your, you know, your chickens go from tiny fluffy baby chick to a chicken that is in your freezer in just over seven weeks. Yeah. That's it's kind of magical. Right. And you know, they fertilize the ground. They're adorable, at least to start. <laughs> and then, and then they're done. And granted, I mean, you still have to do the work to sell them, but it's such a lower turnaround time. And it's it a really helpful cash flow during the summer. Cause people yeah. are starting to like grill and barbecue chicken and you know, a whole I, chicken I really... is just like awesome to smoke. So everyone's exactly. all about that. Exactly. And so we really try to have chickens ready before the 4th of July. That's awesome. And that way that's like, that's that first big push of selling locally raised chicken. And then, you know, from that we have cash flow to keep going to that's, like, yeah, you know, feed all the other animals and get through. So your eggs literally quite literally are not all in one basket, right? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> because you, you know, you can't do, I mean, I, some people can, but that would terrify me. Like I want multiple different income streams. Yeah. That's great. So how are you balancing outside life, like your clinic life with your farm life then? Well, I manage, but I don't want to do it forever. Right. Um, I've been working in the clinic setting for almost four years now. And, you know, it's my work-life balance. Working clinic is a lot better than it was when I worked in the hospital. Um, Yeah. Like my shifts are predictable. My commute is at most half an hour, depending on which clinic I'm working at. I'm one of those, like, throw me wherever I'll do it. Um, and I almost always leave on time. It's very rare that I don't get to leave on time. Okay. Um, you know, COVID has made it more intense and I've kind of signed up for some extra stuff. Like, you know, I do outpatient infusions for people who either get the monoclonal antibody infusions or the antiviral remdesivir. Mm -hmm. So I do that. Um, so my, my, and then people are just a little more intense. And of course there's limitations and rules and, um, I will freely admit, I do not like my job as much as I used to. Yeah. I think that's just everyone. It's a burnout. It is. It is like, I really don't know any other nurse who's like, Oh, this is great. I love coming to work every day to get yelled at. It's so fun. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's not the best, but it is what it is. And of course, right now we're being hit very hard with the Omicron variant. So that's a big challenge. Um, but it is what it is. You know, right now I work four days a week, um, in the clinic and I would really like to get to the point where I'm doing that less. Um, if I, if I keep a 0.5 status, which is two days, one week, three days, another week. So 20 hours a week on average, I could keep health insurance. Okay. So That's I can proceed to, yes, I can proceed doing that for a long time. Um, but I, I definitely want to get to that point because right now, I mean, I'm lucky to have a day off during the week and I have every weekend off, which is clinic life. It's great. You right. know, after, after 15 years in the hospital, 10 of that critical care, this is a huge difference. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, and that's what I wasn't sure about. I knew that you were like, your time was a little bit more predictable, but you said like yesterday, literally you're like, I can do Tuesday. I was like, okay, great. We're going to record tomorrow. And you're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So it worked out really well. 
because yeah, stuff happens. Yes, it does. So yeah, it's, um, you know, it's okay. And it's manageable. I right. really, really want to do it less. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm not wedded to being a nurse for the rest of my working career. So we'll right. see what happens. Yeah. Um, but I like I like it well enough. I like being a nurse. I like the family medicine clinic setting. And, you know, if I could, if I could make enough money farming so that I could work minimally as a nurse, just for, you know, a regular paycheck is a beautiful thing and health insurance is a beautiful thing. Right. Um, I can foresee myself doing that. Could you imagine and, like how confused our Canadian listeners are right now? They're like right? health insurance. Yeah. yeah. Like what? Cause I, I look, I mean, my gosh, we would have to spend probably over a thousand dollars a month if we were paying for our own health insurance. Right. And you know, through my job for the two of us, I think I pay $50 a month. Oh, wow. For, yeah. And it's a high deductible plan, but that's right. fine. Right. At least it's something. Exactly. Versus right. what I would have to pay out of pocket for I'm probably just, a lesser plan. Yeah. Right. And I don't think Canadians get that, but like my husband has to work and we get it, health insurance. It's not great because they will not, they try to not pay for neurological things like speech disability. That's not real. Mm-hmm. That's made up. Let's not pay for that. And we still have to pay like $400 right. like a month. Insurance. Yeah. Like health insurance is just big, one big old gatekeeper to try to keep you from getting health care. Like yeah. having health insurance and having health care are two different things. Right. 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 So I guess that's something that United States people have to think of. If you want to go fall farm full-time, it's not like you can just go do that. Like you can't just quit everything. Cause then what do you do for health insurance? Like if you break your leg or whatever, exactly, you know? exactly. So, it's going to be incredibly like, you're going to have to do a lot of calculating yeah. um, to see if you're actually making enough money to offset that job. Not because it's not just about the wage. It's about the benefits too. Yeah. So that's, I think a lot of people, you and I know a lot of people too, that are farming that they just simply can't just go to farming, even though they're very, very successful at it. Mm-hmm. So it's just something to think about if you're wanting to do this lifestyle that you are doing. Yeah, that is a good point. So what duties are you typically assigned to? And what about your partner? So that shifted a lot this year. Um, Back in 2020, when we were both still working off the farm, he worked evening shift. So he would do chores in the morning and then go to work. And then I would work all day and then come home and work myself to the bone until I went to bed. Yeah. And it wasn't sustainable, but we did it. And uh, since Stefan is now on the farm full time, he's doing the vast majority of all of the physical work on the farm. And this has freed me up to do like business management, marketing, a lot of planning and a lot of catch up from 2020, because there was so much stuff that just did not happen in 2020 because we just were absolutely past capacity. Right. And so on one hand, it's really great because I've, we've been able to like move the needle forward in things that needed to be addressed. Yeah. And it's also really reassuring to be able to go to work and I'm not worried about things like, okay, we're going to be gone for half the day. What if the pigs get out? What if this happens? Uh What What if they dump over their water on a hundred degree day? Exactly. Like all of those concerns. And like during the winter, we have an outdoor wood stove. Like what if the fire goes out? Like just, there was one time when that did happen. Like I realized right before I was going to leave for work that the fire was out, had to go to work. So I called some neighbors like huge favor. Right. <laughs> so, so they came over, rebuilt a fire. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so it's such a stress reliever that he's here and he's yeah. just taking care of things. Yeah. It's also really magical that like he goes to town and then groceries appear in the kitchen. I'm like, this is where does this come crazy. from? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's Love awesome. That. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the only downside is, is that I really miss the physical work. Yeah. Um, you know, that is one of my favorite things about farming. Like I like dealing with the chickens. I like being out there with the pigs. Right. And so we certainly want to get to that point where, you know, we've kind of like developed more systems and automated more things and maybe someday even hire some help for more businessy officey stuff because, 
you know, there's some that I like doing, but there's other stuff that I'm like, man, I would really like for somebody else to do this. And yes. I would like to be out in the field. Right. I think nobody starts farming because they love to do paperwork. Exactly. Right? And but there's then you so start much farming of it. And you're like, there is so much paperwork and right. meetings. Like who thought, who knew that farmers right. would have so many meetings? I really have to market right now. Really? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I know we're going for a snowshoe hike, but I need to pull out my phone and make an Instagram story. Right. And on one hand, it's fun, but that's, it's also just the reality of like, you have to do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. To connect with people. And it's, it's just always in your mind. And a lot of it, it's not even that I am bothered by this stuff. I don't mind doing it. Um, but it's that constant thought of what do I need to do? What do I need to catch up on? Yeah. What about, this? what about that? Yeah. It's not like a nine to five, like you're constantly surrounded by your work when you come home, right? Exactly. You don't, yeah. it's, it's not like my daytime job where I log off and I'm done. I yeah. don't take my work home with me at all. Right. It's constantly with you. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask this because I always have a favorite. Don't tell any of the animals, but <laughs> what's been your favorite part of your farm? Well, all the things. Okay. Um, so I you really, don't have a favorite. I do. I, baby chicks. Yeah. Baby you chicks. Love them. It you, is the I know highlight that of my year. With Instagram stories, that's like what I see most mm-hmm. that you do is always the chicks. I'm like, oh, just Marissa with her chicks again. Oh, totally. Every time I have yeah. any baby chickens, like I can hardly love stand it. it. I, am, right. I am checking on them. It's been 15 minutes. I'm going to go out to the oh brooder again. Right. I love baby yeah. chicks. I mean, like I love everything about the farm. I love taking care of the pigs. I love the dairy cows that hang out. They're our neighbors. Um, I, I love the full grown lane hens. I really, really like our, our peafowl. Yes. But it is the baby chicks that like the first time I get them for the year, it's the most exciting thing. And then when the last last batch kind of loses their little yellow fluff. Like it's, it's a little bit of a grief process. <laughs> like it's They're teenager be, birds. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, I'm growing up and, and they're, that's great. And like, we're almost done with chickens for the year and I'm ready, but then it's like, it's going to be almost another year until I get little baby fluffs again. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is, that's my thing. That's amazing. I see. And I, that's part I don't enjoy, but I love that you enjoy it. So I can like pretend that I like it because you do. Everybody has their thing. Right. That's adorable. Did you order chickens yet this year? Not yet. In fact, it's on my to-do list to map out all of my chickens for the year and call and place my order. Yeah. You might want to get on that because a lot of spots were out. I ordered oh my a gosh. couple of days ago and I couldn't believe mm-hmm. how far, cause I think I scheduled my first ones to come at the very end of March. Mm-hmm. So I don't know oh, when wow. you start. We're probably going to start. I, it'll probably be like very early April. Yeah. Um, or I'm sorry. No, I'm thinking wrong. Um, more like late April, early May. Okay. So yeah. That's kind of on my weekend list of things to do is like map out the whole year and start making phone calls. Right. Yeah. It gets so hot here that I know that Cornish cross just do not do well. And I'm not, it's so hot. I don't think people understand how hot Montana gets. It's almost right. like every end of July and August, it's fire season. That's it. That's all mm-hmm. it is. So I wanted to get them done before July. So it's like, eh, I know I'm probably pushing it. It's going to be a little cold, but I'll learn, I guess. Yeah. It's, e- I think it's easier for them to adjust to slightly cooler temperatures, especially once they're past the baby fluff stage Yeah, than it is to hot temperatures. And yeah, you know, right now we do chickens all year just because we're trying to like get batches in. But as we scale up with a bigger brooder and more chicken tractors, one of our goals is to um, have an early batch and a late batch and that's it and eliminate the midsummer batch. Yeah. Because it's always more work. You, you constantly have to like check them for heat and right. we even have a, uh, a water sprayer. Like yeah. it Mister. would be a, yeah. Like it would be a pesticide sprayer if we used it for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but we take water out and we like spray down the chickens. And yeah. also speaking of, um, 
this and back to my adorable mother. Let me tell you, if you ever want a chicken to be thoroughly misted, ask my mom to do it. <laughs> She's just real good at it. Oh, she thoroughly enjoys this. Cause like I, I asked her once, cause I was like super busy and she came over and was like, what can I do? I'm like, can you mist down the chickens so they cool down? She's like, I'm on it. She so just like, nailed I go it. over to check in and it's like every little chicken has had like under its wings misted. Yes. So like she missed no chickens. <laughs> They're all sopping wet. <laughs> they are, but they were so happy. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't like the heat. I don't think Yeah, it's not their thing. So no. we'd really like to really like to change around our infrastructure so that we could get to the point where we just do an early batch and a late batch. And I would really like to not have chickens on the ground during yeah. the majority of July. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea. So what challenges do you face in this aspect of farming? Oh gosh, what challenge? So many challenges. Yeah. Um, I really wish that I could go back in time and find my young college student self and say, take some business classes. You're like for nursing, why do I need to do that? that? Never occurred to me. <laughs> and it wasn't even a thing that occurred to me enough to say, no, I don't need to do that. But it just wasn't even remotely on the radar. Like, yeah. God, that would have been a good minor. Like, can we just a shout out to everybody right now? Just minor in business. Yeah. <laughs> and I realize that's not really appropriate for everybody, but wow. Um, I think that is like, I find that raising the livestock I don't want to say that it comes naturally to me. It's not like I know all the things, but I grew up on a farm. So it's not foreign. Right. Um, I don't feel like I was like, we may have done different livestock, but I just never felt like I'm completely learning this from scratch. Like I yeah. just grew, like it had been many years since we had actively farmed, but I just grew up with a sense of handling animals, raising animals, just the overall picture. Mm -hmm. So while there was a lot of new specifics, it wasn't a new concept business, not the case. Yeah. Everything has been learning from like everything has been learning from scratch. And like, I actually had never done an Excel spreadsheet before. Right. Because I didn't need to. Right. And it, it never applied. So even those basic skills like that has been this learning curve. Thank yeah. God for YouTube. Right. It's really amazing. I know that's um, the best part of our technology now is that you can look on YouTube for virtually anything, right? Yes. It's yeah. truly amazing. And then the other big thing is that this really is an old farm. You know, my family came from Norway and settled here in the late 1800s and we've been here ever since. But when I was a kid, my dad was a dairy farmer and he died suddenly in 1995. Mm -hmm. and that's the last time that our, our family actively farmed. Um, okay. So later on, my mom remarried. My stepdad did, I think he had like 10 or 12 beef cattle. Right. just informally, um, just yeah. for like something to do. So they kept up with a little bit of fencing, just, you know, close like to the, the bare minimum. Exactly. Because yeah. really you, you got 10 beef cattle. You don't need to be fancy about <laughs> They're this. completely happy with all the pasture that exactly. they have. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, my, my folks did that, but by and large infrastructure was not maintained yeah. since 1995 because the resources were not there to do it. Right. And then later on, it could not be a priority. Mm -hmm. So there's no longer running water in the barn. There's a building that fell down. We've taken care of that. But so there's infrastructure here, right? but there's not. And so everything we've done is just kind of cobbled together a wing and a prayer. You know, our shelter is an old hay wagon. And then we like made oh. attachments and put up tarps and the pigs don't care. It works. But right. it's just a good example of how like our infrastructure is not infrastructure. Right. So we're kind of like everything we do is just cobbled together and it's a little bit makeshift. And yeah. as time goes on, we're getting a little bit more, we're figuring things out, but that's been a real challenge just because we didn't, you know, like we bought the place, but that didn't mean that. So like we bought a farm, 
but that didn't mean that we bought a functioning farm. Right. And I think that goes back to saying is if you want to be a millionaire and a farmer, start with $2 million. Completely accurate. Right. It totally makes sense. Yeah. It adds up I for real do not know how people do it without the external income to start (laughs) with. Right. Well, I remember, did you watch The Biggest Little Farm? I didn't. Okay. Uh, it, it just goes over like how they were able to start this perfectly permaculture farm in, I don't know, wine country. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay. You had millions of dollars to do this. To start. Right. Exactly. And yes. I, that is, and I, I know that's something we kind of have on the outline to discuss is that that gets glossed over. Yeah. So in, much. In just, yeah. I mean, so many people, I, I look at even us, I mean, okay. So we are in our early to mid forties. I'm 42. My husband turned 45 yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so we moved here in 2016 in our late 30s after careers in the city right. and an opportunity. And it was family land. Like it was not given to us by any right. means because that was not financially feasible um, for anybody. But, um, but like my mom and stepdad did actually gift us a percentage of it. Yeah. And so or a percentage of the value that I should say. So we didn't come have to come up with this down payment. So we were coming in from a place of enormous privilege. Right. Um, you know, we had financial privilege because we had had some time to get established. And while we started ridiculously poor, by the time we were in our late 30s between diesel mechanic and a registered nurse, we weren't like scratching anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to purchase this and then it's family land. So I had access to even purchase it at a reasonable price. Um, You know, my mom and stepdad were not looking to like gain the absolute most they could possibly get, right? you know, from us like they would be if they had been selling to a stranger. Of course. And then there's the basic knowledge that I had growing up on a farm. And then there's the community knowledge because all of the, like many of our neighbors are actually old neighbors, like they have lived here my entire life. And they are completely delighted that Philip's daughter has come back to farm. Yeah. And so if we need something, we can go ask, you know, we had, we had a a firewood fire. Yeah. (laughs) Say that three times fast. Right. Like that was something. (laughs) Right. Um, so like we actually had to, to call the fire department and they came and put it out because it was near the woods. It was windy. It was a whole thing. And we lost all our firewood, almost all our firewood, but even little things like they show up and I know a third of the responding members of the the team, but then we needed to um, like move the charred logs around to be able to put out any like smoldering underneath. So it wouldn't start again. Yeah. So the fire department's like, Hey, do you have any equipment to move this? Like we we don't, but our neighbor one mile down the road. And of course there's all these, you know, connections of like who he is and who called him, but regardless, he gets a phone call and it's a Sunday afternoon. It's windy as heck. It's cold and nasty. And he hops in his truck with, with his, into his tractor with the front end loader and, you know, drives directly to us and moves the burned firewood around and we have those resources. Like we have neighbors who will help us. Yeah. We have neighbors to whom we can ask questions and seek advice and they're happy to give it. It's yeah. not begrudging. You know, it's not, I'm not like out of the club. Like I'm Phil's daughter. Right. And, I, <laughs> and like, I, I am not by any, like they're, they're very welcoming neighborly people. I of am course. not saying that if it was somebody new that they would be like me, but it's just the fact that since I grew up here and I'm Phil and Deanna's daughter, there's kind of this level of like, oh, we're more than happy to give you all of the information and so delighted that you asked. Yeah. And it makes things so much easier. Yeah. I think that's glossed over too. When people, Very much so. They don't have that. They don't have the generational wealth mm-hmm. and then they don't have 
the access to what we've grown up, like almost all white families come from farms, right? They were never given the opportunity for that. And I don't think that's something that's addressed often, right? They had, they have to scratch and claw their way up to the top. And it's amazing to see that happening, but they, people aren't understanding that they have to work 10 times harder. Right. And there's all these, these privileges and easy steps built in. And, you know, some of it is money, some of it is land, some of it is just knowledge and resources and community. Right. Um, It's being able to ask somebody like, Hey, um, I need a new axle put on my livestock trailer. And my neighbor who I can call knows who the welder manufacturer is, who can totally do that. Yeah. Like if you don't even have somebody else who knows that knowledge to ask, like you don't, if you don't even know who to ask, how do you get that information? Yeah. And in a rural community, Google is not going to help you. No, no because you know, the guy the, that does that, he has a shop on exactly. the side of his house and he doesn't have a website, right? Exactly. Because right. in fact, our livestock trailer does need a new axle. It's on order. Um, <laughs> but the guy who does the welding manufacturing, and so far he fixed one other thing and we're just waiting for the new axles to come in and they'll be replaced. He's, his name is in the phone book, but not the business. Right. There is no yellow page listing. Nope. He's not on the paper. He's not on Google. You either know him, you know, and, and from his point of view, he doesn't care. He has more business than he ever knows what to do with. He right. has no need to advertise right. and he doesn't do computers. So he's not going to go out of his way to like be findable on Google, my business, because he doesn't even know what Google, my business is. Right. So he's not trying to hide, but it's still hidden information. Yeah. And we have access to that. Um, because I grew up here, because we have friends, because we're enmeshed in the agricultural community. But if you're coming in new and you're the stranger, you just don't have that. And the information might even be there, but if someone else doesn't know that you need that information because you don't know how to ask, and also there's like the generational friendship issue where even if people are not trying to be exclusive, it's very difficult to break in. I mean, I look at like my two best friends who live in the area we met in first grade. And then we have more friends, certainly, but it's not that we're not, exclu- it's not that we're excluding other people. But when you have friends that you've known each other since you were six years old, other friends are just going to have different dynamics. Yeah. And so that makes it so incredibly different, difficult for small towns, for rural you know, communities to come in and to really be a part of those and to, to really like link into those resources that you don't know how to access, don't even know they exist. You don't know who to ask. You don't know what questions to ask. You, know, you don't know where they might even be found. Yeah. And those are very significant barriers. And it's very easy for the Joel Salatins of the world to be like, just start farming. Yeah. It's so like, easy. Right. Without, if you're a mediocre white man, it's very easy, right? Lord grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> always. It's always true. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point in that. Uh, and we see that a lot of the time when people are starting out, they just don't have the access that we do. Like I've exactly. lived here my whole life. I can talk to who I need to, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone has their own challenges for sure. Right. And I think just, you know, in the regent ag circle, we just, we don't acknowledge enough. And I think that that's also got to be so incredibly frustrating for um, people who are coming into it new yeah. to have those challenges, not even acknowledged, Yeah, um, you know, to be told like, oh, well, you can just start. And yeah, it's, it's that really easy. not that simple. Right. Right. And especially if you don't have access to things like fencing for us, it takes mm-hmm. an hour and a half to just go get fencing mm-hmm. and then an hour and a half back. Right. So it's not like we can just go get set up and get pigs on pasture in a day. Right. Right. And then also I think people don't discuss this 
too, when you see a YouTube channel and they have all these people helping, like they've built up this business, right? Mm -hmm. And all these people are paying to come help. So all of these hands are paying to help you build up this farm. And it yep. looks so glossy on the camera, right? It's not how real farming is. It, it isn't. No, it isn't. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said for working with other farmers to help one another out. Um, but stuff like that almost gives the impression that just anybody can do these things when they're actual real skill sets. Yeah. You know, putting up a woven wire fence is not just a matter of just putting it there. There's right. an actual skill set to how to do it. Yeah. And so it, it kind of, it creates a really, really false idea of how things are going to go with this idea that like, oh, just get a bunch of people to help you. Yeah. Well, if those people don't know what they're doing. That's not going to do you any good. Right. And then I don't know if you have this issue, but I open myself up to a lot of this, whereas I became the expert on pigs now. So people will call my home phone be like, mm -hmm. Hey, I have this pig down. I can't spend all of my mental energy helping everyone. Like right. I want to, but it's not fair to my family. It's not fair to me to keep doing that. So yeah, I understand that there's a need to help people, but at what cost to you? Right. Right. And sometimes you do get people who not only want information, but they want to be spoon fed that information. Exactly. And, and that definitely ends up being something that you kind of have to set a boundary around. Right. Um, that I, you know, I will have like, Hey, here's a Google document that I wrote up, um, with some basic information and some resources and some links. And I encourage you to look at that. Um, but I cannot hold your hand through this entire thing. Yeah. Now I will say, I, I do think that just, and this is not like an indictment of anyone in particular, it's just an observation that I think about a lot that like we as fairly privileged white farmers need to be very conscientious about reaching out to people who are not as privileged. And moreover, I just kind of think that if we have, okay, so like if we have a source of information and we can share it with people, if we're going to set a boundary around it, set it around people who, you know, could access that information otherwise, yeah, and right. then reach out to the people who couldn't. Right. Um, so I think that's something that we need to do, but in order to be able to do that, we have to set boundaries so that the people who think that they're just entitled to our time because we're women and we're nice yeah. are not the ones that we're spending all of that energy on. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like it could be like, Hey, Marissa, I want to do exactly what you're doing. Can you tell me how to do it? Whereas you exactly. just spent all of this money on these classes mm -hmm. and I want to access that through you for free. It's just not feasible. Right. And right. you can and it's, help. It's not reasonable. Right. Yeah. And you can help where you want, or be like, if I wanted to troubleshoot, Hey, I want to make this Instagram post. Does this look good? You can be like, yes, mm -hmm. I would change this or whatever. So I just think having boundaries is really good and understanding that we all come from different places. Mm -hmm. And that. we all need to be proactive because I, I do see, and this definitely happens on the internet. Sometimes there can be this you know, newbie want to be farming, coming farmer coming into a group and being all like, I want to raise chickens. How do I do it? Yeah. And, and kind of demanding. And, and I, I'm of two minds because I very firmly believe that those of us who have the resources and the privilege do have some sense of community and just human obligation to reach out to people who don't have it Yeah. and kind of reach that hand out and be like, Hey, you can ask me questions and, yeah. or, you know, would you like this? Can I do some X for you? Mm -hmm. um, because especially with those, those gaps in, you know, community knowledge and relationships, if someone's new to the area, reach out and be like, Hey, if you need to know like where to find a handyman, where to get this fixed, reach out to me. I can find that information exactly. and be that resource. Right. 
that said, that's like for some people, <laughs> right? Then, because like in order to preserve your sanity and your mental energy, you, you have to make these dividing lines, right? Um, because otherwise just anybody who asks all the questions, like, no, I'm not giving a one week course to you on how to raise pigs <laughs> for free. That's not going to happen. Right. You're going to have to like do what I did, which yeah. was spend an awful lot of time reading books on the internet and like, just trying to figure it out, like gather all the information by yourself that you can, yeah. I'll help you fill in the gaps. And that's yeah. the big difference is that like being spoon fed all this information is not a reasonable expectation. Right. Um, you know, so we have every right to tell people like seek out information on your own. You have to do the work Yeah. and I will help you bridge the gaps. Right. But you have to do the work. Right. And it's, everyone has access to YouTube that asks me. So I'm like, you can look on YouTube, right? Yeah. Exactly. I get asked about artificial. Here's a list of books. Yeah. I get asked about artificial insemination a lot. And I was like, I learned on YouTube because they asked me how to do it. And that's my go-to is I learned on YouTube because I did. I didn't have anybody to show me. I had to be the person to show myself, right? Yeah. And it's, it's one thing if someone has taken the initiative, they've gone on YouTube and then they have like one small question that they need clarification on whole different, because usually that's, that's usually a question that will take a three minute conversation or a 30 second message via Facebook messenger or email. And that's a whole different scenario than someone like, I want you to walk this through me start to finish, but I haven't chosen to educate myself in any way with the resources freely available. Like, no, I absolutely not. I do not have hours. Right. Cause that's Mm -hmm. how much I spent hours researching. I do not know how I could sit down and be like, okay, this is everything. So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And really, and if I ever, if you ever put that together, like make yourself a course and sell it online because (laughs) people can pay you for that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Your time is worth money, right? Yeah. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Not really. Um, (laughs) We went through a lot. We did. We we've talked for a very long time and it's been very fun, but I I think I have already surpassed your standard podcast time. Awesome. No, this (laughs) has been great. I'm so glad that you could join us. Me, not us. I'm used to saying Steph, so I miss her. (laughs) Yes. It is fun. Yes, but you've been great to talk to. Thank you. And thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. Where can people find you? So I'm Spring Hill Heritage Farm on Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And my website is springhillheritage.farm. Okay. And we will have that in the show notes. So everyone can look at your amazing stuff and everything you're doing. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Happy milking. Happy milking. <laughs> yeah. You don't milk, but it's okay to say I it, right? don't, but you know, I'm near near dairy farmers. I can go help out if I want right. to. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.